Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO and managing partner of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor. I'm a coach, a husband, recently a grandfather. Now, along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've achieved by continuing to elevate in living a fulfilled life by making a positive difference in my world. I'm going to invite you to join me as I delve into the details of the many wins of my guests in achieving their goals, along with, shall we say, the frustrations of the occasional deal gone wrong, because my guests are here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them in business and investing in real estate, from the life they're now able to live to the person they become along the way as they pursued their dreams in having the freedom they've gained by building a sustainable financial future for them and their family. Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this episode of the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Before I introduce my guests, I'd like to start by first thanking you for listening in and for your support of the feedback you provide us on the show as well as to continue to encourage you to send your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That is CEO at R-E-I-N-Canada.com. And if you're inclined, I'd really appreciate it if you were to share this show with your friends, your family, other people you know, and push the envelope, share it with people you don't know, rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And while you're at it, why not follow us on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page? So thanks again for the feedback you provide the team and I. It is definitely appreciated. There's a quote a friend of mine often uses in his coaching business, and that is to say that anything will work if you work it. But it requires extreme focus. My guest on this show, Aaron Moore, is a multiple award-winning real estate investor. He's known as one of the most established pre-owned home buying businesses in the greater Toronto area, which he built on his skill to write creative offers to homeowners that makes it easy and convenient to sell their property. And he achieved that through being highly focused on a niche market of helping homeowners who have found themselves in a stressful situation with their real estate. Aaron has definitely honed his skill and has become a very talented deal engineer who constructs offers in a way that bring win-win solutions for troubled homeowners needing to exit and to get from underneath the weight of their real estate and their financial problems and challenges. Aaron uses a mix of strategies to generate income while building his family's investment portfolio and uses from really long-term buy and hold strategies to wholesaling, fix and flip, rent to own, and even more than all of that. Aaron's really built a successful and profitable full-time real estate business. He's a longtime Rain member and real estate investor who offers much to learn for those who are interested in investing in real estate. And I invite you to listen in as he and I talk about the business of real estate investing and his journey to get to where he is today. A seemingly ordinary real estate investor achieving extraordinary results. This is Aaron Moore. Please enjoy the show. Aaron Moore, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Good to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you, Patrick. Great to be here. So I just saw you in Toronto and, uh, you know, we we had some fun at a meeting and I thought it was a really strong meeting. And um, time and time again, you and your lovely wife, Christina, are at meetings and I see you and I see you guys doing stuff. And I went, gosh, I got to get at least Aaron on the show and uh, have some conversation about real estate, you know? So today I want to talk to you about your real estate journey, what you're doing these days, how you got there and uh, really open up the conversation. So my favorite way to enter the conversation is just give me a 30 to 60 to whatever second uh, elevator (laughs) pitch. When somebody walks up and says, Aaron Moore, what do you do? What's your answer to that question? What do I do? When I'm talking to investors, I say, I secure properties at discount for other investors. I am one of those real estate wholesalers. I don't know if you've heard about them before. Many people haven't, but that's what I do. But you know, that being said, I also you know fix and flip properties. I've built up a portfolio of rentals over the years, and I do a lot of marketing for these motivated sellers. And really, 
they're always coming at me and I try to solve their problems and help them out and do what I can with the, you know, the people who come to me. Now you're located, I mean, I'm in Vancouver, we're having a Zoom call, so I get to, uh, you know, I get to visit you via, via video. Is Toronto your primary market or give me, give me a scope of how you, what's your region? Toronto and the GTA are my primary markets, but that being said, really within a, a two hour range from Toronto is what we focus on. You know, as you go out an hour, hour and a half from Toronto, you get better values on rental properties. But we do, we, we fix and flip anywhere around Toronto, but it's getting tougher to cash flow the, the closer you are to Toronto. So we do go out, you know, an hour, hour and a half, maybe two hours from Toronto for, for the cash flow and the rental properties. So are those, um, when you're talking about cash flowing properties, are those that you're holding in your own portfolio or that is what you're fixing and flipping to real estate investors for their portfolio? For the cash flow property, it's more ones I do buy for myself. I'm more out in the Oshawa, Durham, Clarington area for my own properties. A place like Kitchener, Hamilton, St. Catharines, those are also good for other people's rentals where I, I tend to wholesale more to other people in, in these areas for their own rental properties. And when I do fix and flip, it's really more to the, the homeowner. Uh, that's more my who I'm selling to when I fix and flip. Oh, so when you're fixing and flipping, you're going to an end user that's going to live in the home as opposed yeah. to a real estate investor. Generally, yeah. that's your that's your model. Typically, if if I if I find a property that's going to be great for a rental, I'm usually wholesaling it to another investor, or I, I might buy it myself. But of course, I can't buy them all. So let's talk about wholesaling a little bit, and and there's a lot of this conversation that we're going to get into because I you know I work backwards a little bit from this conversation into, you know, where you got started and a little bit more of your own personal background, because it is always a journey and there's lots of learning in people's journey to where they are today. Now, tell me what is wholesaling? If So talk to me, like, I don't know what the heck I'm doing sure. in the world of real estate and what is a wholesale deal and, and how does that work? Well, maybe a, a simpler way to understand wholesaling is maybe many people listening have bought a property before. So think about when you've signed that paperwork, you've signed your agreement to buy the property. So it's all signed up. You know, you, you'd probably go tell your mother, I just bought a property, which means you've signed the paperwork. Well, at that point, if there are other people who want to buy that same property, you can sell the, basically sell the paper. Um, so for me, it's typically other investors, investors who might want a place to fix and flip, a rental property. If I think this is a great deal, for fix and flip, for example, I will tell the fix and flip investors I know who who want to buy in this area, and you know if they're currently looking for a deal, they'll, they'll pay me a fee. They take over the contract, so they will close on the closing date. They will buy it. A simple way, another simple way to think about it is just we're just changing the name on the contract. In this context, is there a difference between wholesaling and assigning a deal? For me, it's the same thing. Wholesaling is generally the way to look at it assigning the contract is more the technical legal terminology to get it done so ultimately what you're doing is you're finding deals we'll call it you're finding good deals or great deals stuff that you may or may not want to work with but ultimately let's say if you're buying a property you're buying something let's say you buy something at four hundred thousand the actual value might be let's say four hundred and fifty thousand so you might wholesale it or assign it for 430,000, make your 30 grand in between, but leave 20 grand on the table. That would be just a rough example of how you would do it. Is that, is that accurate? That's a rough example, but usually there's more, <laughs> okay. more so spread I've... less for the investor <laughs> than myself. <laughs> I, so I'm, I'm looking at your facial expression and I'm going, okay, okay. So that was a shitty example. So why don't you give me an example that's more sure. accurate? Sure. Sounds good. So you know, recently I did it, it was a couple of deals with similar numbers. So these, these were in Durham and Clarington. So I, I got a property signed up. I signed it up for say 365. I marked it up to my investors for 385. And so, you know, someone took it, but th- this is a property where you can renovate, turn it into a legal second suite. And now suddenly it's worth 550, 570. So a lot of these are fixer-uppers, not all of them, but a lot of them are fixer-uppers where you put in some renovations, uh, change it up, and, and suddenly they're worth a lot more. Got it. So 
on the in a deal like that, by the way, because you are you also do fix and flip, is part of your business model where you would take on the contract as well to do the renovations on that property occasionally, Aaron, or is is that part of what you do? I don't do too many rentals at the same time. Three, four is about my limit. Then I just wholesale the rest. So I, I have certainly myself renovated the two units, made them legal, then resold them. I, I don't. I do not contract it to others, though. So I, I don't contract it with my rental team or anything like that. So you okay? So got it. So that's not that's yeah. not part of your your business model. Now, if no. somebody's if somebody's interested in in playing the wholesale game, when you look at what it costs you to get in on a deal. So for example, let's, let's talk about is wholesaling kind of cool because you can make some money in between income, which is different than let's say it's income today, as opposed to future income or income within a few months of closing, et cetera, versus future income on a buy and hold deal is part of the strategy around that is number one, generating income, but number two, being able to do a deal without having to qualify for mortgages and do all the rest of it. Yeah, I, and that's when I first got started. It was it's over ten years ago now. Well, my, my mindset was to to learn the business, but also to do it because I didn't have a ton of money or mortgage ability at the time. So you can do deals. You don't you don't have to really put in a. There's ways you don't have to put in a dollar. You can just get it under contract, sell it to someone else. Yeah, and you're you're putting up no money. You're not qualifying for any mortgage. It's a way to make income. And you're using your marketing, your sales skills, just your, your gung-ho-ness, right? Is that what they call it? Your gung-ho-ness? Sure, we'll call and it just, that. I like it. Yeah. Which is first, the chicken or the egg? Are you, do you have the investor first before you go find the deal? Or do you get the deal and then find the investor? Combination of both. Yeah. What would you suggest people start at? Like, my, here's, yeah. here's where I go. I, you know, I write a check. I, you know, I, I buy the deal. I, I have the yeah. offer. And then... Now what if I can't find an investor? What if I can't wholesale that property? Yeah. You know, you probably want to know a few investors. So that could be as simple as going to a rain meeting, talking to some investors, see who's buying multiple deals a year. Maybe it's rentals, maybe it's fix and flips. Uh, so, so you've got a few people buying a specific area. So it might be wise to start looking in that specific area uh, for deals that would be of interest to these people who buy multiple deals a year. Now, that being said, if you got a really great deal, you're probably going to find a buyer, even if you've, you've got a current list or not. You know, I did this years ago. I just, I get a great deal. You know, I'll advertise it. I'll, I'll put a posting up on a classified ad site like Gigi Craigslist and say, you know, discount property, whatever, 50,000 discount, great deal, fixer upper. You know, some of these words to attract attention. But if, if you got a really great deal, your buyers are going to come. It's not going to be that hard to find buyers. It is actually finding the deal, but there's in, in behind that, there's also the marketing to let, you know, get the word out and do that. Now, some 10 years later, I'm sure a lot of that is just, you've got a client base and, and reputation yeah. and all the rest of it. So, but let's go back a little bit into that whole model. I want to dig into it a bit because right now, often we're being educators and, and being rain. We are often having conversations with people that just can't come up with a cash to buy a deal and get into it. This is a way to get into a deal and make some money at it and actually grow into eventually buying a buy and hold property, for example. So how do you go out and find the deals? Are you, are you knocking on doors or how, and I know Christina, your, your lovely wife is a realtor now, and and I'm sure she's Mm -hmm. part of that process, but ultimately how did you start out, you know, finding deals? What was, what was your methodology? And, And certainly Christina is a realtor. She's, She's found us some deals on the MLS, but the majority of our deals are private. They come from marketing, my, my own marketing. You know, I've tried a bunch of marketing methods. You know, they all work to some degree, some more than others. When I started out, it was letters. I was sending letters door to door. You know, I, I think about the, na- the neighborhoods I want to buy or the investors I'm wholesaling to want to buy. I target there. I just send I'm the kind of guy I've sent probably hundreds of thousands of letters over the years. I blanket neighborhoods that I want to buy in. And, you know, we, we get some calls, we get some deals. The challenge for beginners is maybe the volume. You got to send a lot of pieces to get fewer calls to get fewer deals, right? So if there's a volume, there's a numbers game, it can intimidate people. And it's a lot of work. People, you know, I shock people, the amount of work, get the deals, right? 
Well, sure, because you 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 number one, you've got to go through find the the area that you're going to go. You've got to get that letter. You got to get a hold of Canada Post or whoever is delivering yeah. that letter. The letter's got to be well written, and and you know there is the yellow letter methodology for those of you who uh, are familiar with that. It's a very specifically appears as a handwritten letter, but the wording is very very uh, specific, and it has proven it's been tested. But then you got to get out there, and there's a cost to that. There's yeah. a cost of time. Then you got to, how do I filter calls? Are you taking them on your cell phone? Or are you answering directly? There's processes in place, and you have to systemize. systemize. And so if you get, if you got ten calls on a thousand distribution, that would probably be a home run. But even if you got those ten calls, what is that going to translate relate to? One deal, maybe two. Yeah, maybe know? one. Sometimes it's done. Sometimes you'll sell send thousands of letters and you'll get no deal. That being said, I've I have had people, I just got a call in the last couple of months from someone who got a letter from me, I think it was back in 2012. So, you know, this is like, uh, you know, nice older lady hung on to my letter for seven years and gave me a call. So that, you know, I, I like that, even though it wasn't a deal. Yeah. But talking about marketing, I, I've done a bunch. I've done newspapers. I've, you know, I do the outdoor signs, the bandit signs. Uh, but what's really big for me and it's grown over the years is, is the internet. So I'm, you know, the search engines, the, the pay-per-click. It's, you know, part of it's because I've been around for a long time. My website's been up and running. Google does like me by now. And I, I do do generate a lot of leads online. These leads tend to be, you know, all over the place. So if, when I'm looking, say, for a rental property, if I want a rental property, a specific area, I am probably going back to letters. Because, you know, we can target the specific neighborhood and, um, you know, direct your letters right to the houses you want to buy. Now you were, I believe, uh, you you've been a part of the rapid cash program that Barry and Donna McGuire put on, and yes. was was that kind of one of the entry points, or or I shouldn't, I, no, I don't think it was one of the entry points, but I do believe that it it kind of took your game to a little different level as well. Is that is that the case? And I'm just curious as to the, that's right. Yeah. yeah, I've I've been attending. Well, they've had multiple sessions by now. I've attended a, a, at least two sessions of theirs, and this is over years. But yeah, it was Barry. He introduced me to agreements for sale and other concepts years ago. And it, you know, it was studying with him and coaching with other prog- programs as well. It was, it was Rain who introduced me to, to Ron Legrand and the Wolf Couple back in 2010. So I took coaching with the Wolf Couple and they, they really amplified my game as well. Just ramped, ramped me up and ramped up what I was doing. And, and it, Barry McGuire was involved at that time too, teaching us agreements for sale, taking over existing mortgages and really being creative and, and doing it the Canadian way. Cause you know, I was coaching with Americans, but also having the Canadian content with rain and Barry McGuire. That was fantastic. The mix of the two was great. You know, we, you bring up Ron Legrand and, you know, over the years, rains had uh, Ron Legrand on the stage, you know, often. And, and we, we have, we've had different coaches and different people present but it's always very interesting. Ron Legrand is such a controversial character, you know, and um, it was often for us, it was when we did a debrief afterwards, when we got the feedback, he was so polarizing. It was like, Ron Legrand is an asshole. He's a salesman. <laughs> he's a this, he's a that. And then there's guys like you, which there are many, yeah. that went the most impactful coaching and education I ever had changed my life, changed my real estate. And so as a, as an educative body and a coaching body, you know, we are often scratching our heads going, Oh my gosh, how can the same guy land so polar opposite for the rain members that are in the room, you know? And, and, and then I look and and there's, listen, I can name off a, a huge list of people that took that coaching, took that program and have just, you know, 10 years later, five years, 10 yeah. years later, they're going, man, oh man, I've made millions of dollars using those systems. I've expanded on them. And yeah, I had to tweak it and all the rest of it. But it's like, yeah. you know, we go to a university for an MBA and and ultimately you come out and you make that MBA your own. You know, you take it and you expand on it and you do all the things that you've got. So anyways, Ron Legrand. And, yeah. and, and so, and of course, then you look at how a Barry presents and he's just 
calm, cool, Canadian, yeah. not offensive. <laughs> you know, that's always. I, I, I do remember some of Ron's offensive jokes, and I still laugh about them today. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, won't, I won't repeat them here. Yeah, Ron, I, you know, I keep threatening to, um, you know, have Ron back on the stage again, but because he's so polarizing, we keep going. Yeah, no, we'll stick with Barry. It's it's a little safer <laughs> move, but. I always remember uh, Ron Legrand and that American draw that he has. The first question, he you know he stands on stage and we introduce him as Ron Legrand, and he walks up to the microphone and and he asks the question, you know, in that American draw, which I won't even try and uh, you know duplicate, you know. But he says, uh, "So who here thinks that I'm going to try and sell him something?" And the, <laughs> the whole room puts up their hand, <laughs> and his response is, <laughs> "And I'm not going to let you down." <laughs> so. <laughs> As a, anyways, enough about Ron Legrand. So it's good to hear yeah. that, you know, that education and, and, and ultimately you're obviously coachable in what you do, Aaron. And how important is it? Because these are conversations, uh, you know, I never know where my podcasts are going to go, but I, I see this as, you know, we're talking about wholesaling, assigning, which is not a common kind of conversation. It's, it's one of those, yeah. it's like, it's almost this thing that lives out there that people hear about. Is it a myth? Is it real? You know, do people really do this? Can they actually make money doing this? And, and you're here saying, yeah, you can do it. It takes a while and you have to work it. How important is it to, for you over the years to really, this is something that uh, in, in the space called rain and coaching and education, we often say every conversation should be about real estate. Ultimately, it's, it's got to go to real estate. That's what you're doing. You know, if you've got a career as a nurse or a doctor or, or a pilot or a a plumber, it doesn't matter. Ultimately, you're having a conversation with people about what you do. And in the in the context of real estate, that's what it's got to be. So the, the reason I kind of preface it that way is I'm interested in knowing how much does that pay off for you this many years later in terms of, you know, the friends, the family, the relationships that you build? How many times do deals come your way because of that? I'm, and I'm sincerely curious. Yeah. Um, well, by now... You know, sometimes for me, it's you know, I've got a big internet presence, and people are finding me from the internet all the time. Friends, family, network. When people have it, and just recently, you know, a guy came to me. I guess he knows me a bit through Rain, and he's got a, a deal in Barry. It's a potential two-unit property. He can't get the financing he wants, so he's looking to assign it, make some money, and he knows I've got a big buyers list for people looking for deals like that. So he, you know, he just came to me. So the, these opportunities. Opportunities come to me certainly through the network. A lot of it is from real estate investors. So it's probably more real estate investors than maybe personal contacts of family and friends. But yeah, just it grows over the years and more and more people know what you're doing. And I guess you're immersed in it. That's the that's the fundamental yeah. difference. You are a full-time real estate investor, whether that looks yeah. like assignments or fix and flips or buy and holds. Ultimately, your game oh. is real estate. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm not huge into social media yet. I might grow it a bit, but but even there, I was just contacted recently by, a, you know, I used to work with IBM, you know, I don't know, 12 years ago now, whenever it was, but fellow there, you know, I, I had a real estate conversation or two with him, say, 12 years ago, and he just contacted me now from a, one of my Facebook posts where I was buying a property. You know, he, he's just interested in learning more, and he, he's got himself a, one or two rentals in the meantime. So he wants to talk, maybe do something together. So it all just culminates over the years. Are you a joint venture guy? Do you, do you have, have you done a number of joint ventures? Are you raising capital that way? Is that I, part of what you do? I do a little bit. Most of my JVs at this point have been with family. I am looking to probably do some long-term rentals with other people. I, I Mostly I raise money, private lenders for my rental projects. So when I renovate, refinance and rent or just reno and flip. I definitely, you know, I've, I've actively looked for private lenders. I have private lenders always looking for more and just, and these are typically short-term loans, but not JV specifically. Okay. So in, in my classic style of jumping around a little bit, I want to go backwards, you know, tell me, you know, you're here, you are, you're a full-time real estate investor, entrepreneurial, your wife, Christina, is a realtor, which makes her very ultra entrepreneurial. But where did you start? Like, so take me back. Were you born? Yeah. In, where were you born and raised? Where, what's your kind of what's your background, Aaron? Yeah, I was born and raised Port Hope, Ontario. Just, you know, it's an hour east of Toronto. And I was certainly 
you know, we're, we're fairly low income. So living pay to, paycheck to paycheck. I, I do remember from an, from an early age having a strong interest in money, finances. I wanted to get around this issue, get, get this problem solved, right? So I always remember having an interest in, in money. I took, you know, engineering and business and university. Uh, it's, it's really, you know, the guidance counselors, they said, you're good in math. So there's jobs in engineering, take engineering. You know, I wasn't quite sure I was a born engineer. So I, I com- combined it to a double major in business and engineering because I wasn't quite convinced I was engineering for the rest of my life. But that's you know, just a sign. I always had the business and the, the financial interest. And, and yeah, it's like quickly after university, I got into, you know, I got talking with people who did a little bit of real estate. I think everyone says this, but I quickly got introduced to a rich dad, poor dad, sure. <laughs> read the book. And I did, I, I bought a property a few years out of university. And I just, I moved my housemates with me. So I had this one property rental and my, and my brother did the same. You know, I, I sort of pushed him to it because I'm probably the financial and real estate guy in the family. I pushed him into buying this or encouraged him. And it, it's something great. I'm sure he's very happy he did it. But he did the same thing. We just bought a house, brought our housemates in with us. We were both living with housemates at the time. But I do also, t- I like telling people this. Our first house, we bought 5% down. And neither of us had 5% down. So, you know, these are, I don't know, 200, 200 something thousand dollar properties back then this was 2003 2004 so to get her done we both gave a gift letter and, and gave gifts from our unsecured lines of credit we had because we had jobs we had some line of credit so first i gave brother a gift for my line of credit he bought himself his house six months later he gives me a gift back from his line of credit i bought myself a house like you know that, that's how you do it oh and also with my first house I think I qualified with my job for say 220k mortgage, and the house was 245. So I, I don't know. I needed an extra 10, 15, 20 grand. But my dad, who doesn't, has never made a ton of money, but he co-signed, and it it brought me up the next couple, you know, tens of thousands I needed to get the mortgage, and that's how we got our first property. So, you know, the first property is pretty important, but that's just my example of getting it done. It's just, just some creativity in there. Now, what did your what did your uh, what did your parents do for a living in Port Hope? Yeah, my my mom was stay at home with the kids, and my daddy you know, he was working warehouses, so you know, never never made a ton of money. Yeah, got it. Do you think your uh, you know your entrepreneurial spirit was it? What was it driven by? Was it driven by just your strong desire to create a better life, make more money? What, what kind of got you fired up to say, I'm going to take this yeah. on? Because you did work, you had a job for a while. Yeah. And then, yeah. Um, but w- tell me a little bit about how things shifted for you to go in the entrepreneurial journey. You know, there's definitely multiple motivating factors. Helping out my parents was a big one. And I, I just warning Patrick, I can get choked up when I start talking with some of this family stuff. I bet. It brings out the emotions. So, <laughs> yeah. But, but we're talking family. So, you know, help, helping the family. My parents, great parents, they always wanted the best for me. They wanted, you know, more for me and my brother than they ever had. So, so they, you know, probably should have left family for, for later in this, <laughs> later in the talk. I, I do often get choked up. So, it's all good, man. Yeah. But uh, they're really supportive. They, want, they wanted better for us than they had, right? So, you know, what they knew was just pushing us towards university. Great. So, so, so I did that, but, but I definitely wanted to, uh, you know, secure things financially for my parents. Uh, So, you know, in the past, I I don't know if it was six years ago, I was able to buy my parents the first house. So for for me, that's a big deal. Yeah. I still get choked up thinking about it. You know, as I interview people and I'm, you know, in my own experience, you know, I certainly was raised on the wrong side of the tracks, but here's the fundamental, and my parents were great, by the way. I mean, my dad and I were not so great, but, you know, <laughs> but that's, and that's a total aside. But the point is, you know, it's interesting how, as, you know, where's the psychology of how we grow up, you know? So in your case, you know, there was a place that what drove you and one of the, I guess we'll call it your why was to actually get your parents handled. I wasn't driven that way, by the way. Like I didn't, I didn't say, you know, I want to make, you know, I want to make money and be an entrepreneur and, and, and grow and then be able to support my parents. That was never, 
in my yeah. in my kind of world. Mine was driven by I want to be successful and have my parents be proud of me or acknowledge me or whatever whatever you know lives in behind the scenes. So it's it's interesting when I have an interview with somebody that says I just really wanted to give back to my parents and you know give my yeah. parents a great life. And and that sounds like for you that's what it was. It was big, you know, in addition to that, I, I certainly wanted, you know, the flexibility and freedom. You know, I was in a corporate job for years and I, I remember I had this internship between my, before my last year of university. So, you know, I started work for 16 months with, you know, big blue IBM, I'm sure I can say it. it's no big deal, right? So I, I worked with them near the end of the internship. I asked my buddy who was also doing an internship. I was like, okay, so is this what we're doing the next, you know, 40 years? I just wasn't into it. So, you know, there's something, I didn't, I didn't know what I would do next, but I, I knew I, I can't see 40 years of working, you know, working at a corporate job like this. So, you know, there's always multiple factors, multiple things at play. So I, I have always been, you know, I, I do also want to you know, just do bigger things, you know, always do more than I think I can do you know, I just understand I'm capable of doing a lot more than maybe I think I could or, or even that I know about. I, I can always do greater things. Just this thinking and sort of these types of mindsets motivate me as well. I've always been a big believer that, you know, there is a time for, you know, young people to actually get into the corporate world historically corporations do have great training programs. They have bigger budgets. And, and so you can learn a lot. You can really build a pretty great foundation. And in my own corporate background, many years ago now, you know, I came out of there knowing what I didn't want, you know, they trained me like crazy, you know, and so I learned a lot about business, but I also learned what I didn't want to be stuck doing and, or how I wanted to operate. That was a really big lesson for me. And uh, mm-hmm. to this day, I still, you know, I still am grounded in a lot of the lessons I learned when I was in that corporation. Yeah, I spent seven years, you know, in the big corporate world. You know, definitely the first several years, I, I was young. I enjoyed myself. I worked hard, did a lot. But, you know, in my last probably two years, I was ready to go. I was probably ready to go for two years before I, I left. And it, it just, it wasn't for me anymore. So why real estate? You know, how did, uh, you know, you, you and your brother got your, you bought your homes and you bought your, so why yeah. real estate? Why real estate? Well, it's from talking with others, you know, reading a book or do that's how I got my start. But once, once I had owned a property, you know, once we each owned a property for a few years, we looked at what had happened. You know, the equity went up, the mortgage just were paid down my house. This, I had a two unit properties and two kitchens, and my housemates were basically paying, paying my living expenses. And I looked at this after a few years and said, I got to do more. And that's when I started going to some of the local real estate networking, networking events. Yeah, to some of the local real estate networking events. I, I, I joined Rain, I think it was 2009. Yeah, it's, it's been over 10 years now. So I joined Rain then and just started expanding my mind, learning. And, and I just knew I wanted to do a lot more in real estate because I had seen the results and, and, and that was it. I was headed in the right direction then. I want to go a little bit on a tangent around rain because I, whenever I am speaking with a long-term or long-time member, I'd like to just tap into their brain a little bit. So for you, 10 years later or 10 plus years later is being part of rain. How is it that you, or what is it about rain that keeps you coming back? Cause I mean, you and Christina, I mean, you're yeah. short of your vacations and whatever other life you got because you're, you're parents now, what keeps you coming back into the rain room? Is it strictly the network? I mean, is, are you still learning stuff? What is it for you that keeps you, both you and Christina coming back to the room? Yeah, it, it is. It's keeping up to date. Yeah. You know, I, I do like to keep up on the economy, mortgage rules. There's a lot to keep up to date on, but in addition it, it definitely the networking. I know we do deals with people in the room, people from Rain. Christina is a realtor. Uh, she works with a lot of Rain members, and so you know we have community, some loyalty built up over the years. And I guess there's there's a lot of benefits. So, 
there's a view of the world, right? Because there's, you know, there's, yeah. there's people that come into a community like that and they're going, yeah, no, um, you know, and then, and then they move on. So it's always, I'm always picking people's brain about what is it about rain or what isn't it about rain. And, and there's such a diverse, I guess, view of the world when it comes to real estate education, yeah. you know? So I, I'm always looking, searching. And, and, and often at many meetings, I'll, I'll come with a few questions in mind. Sometimes it's a legal question. I'll look for a lawyer. Sometimes it's an accounting question. I'll look for an accountant. Uh, sometimes, you know, it might be a multi-unit apartment building question because, I, you know, I've got something in my mind to go through the next year or two. So I, I might look, look for someone in these specific areas just to have a chat. So from a business model and your own education, so I know that you're like any business owner, you take a lot on and you're always kind of at it, working hard. And do you have a vision of scale? What's your kind of, what is your vision for what yeah. you're doing? Yeah, I'm, I am looking to scale now. So I, I have hired a couple of people within the past year. One just came on a, less than a month ago. A new superstar salesperson, Melanie. That's great. <laughs> so, I am looking to change my role a bit more to the hiring, training, marketing, but also, you know, I, I still enjoy taking the calls from sellers. These are motivated sellers who call me for the private sale. I still enjoy going into the houses, but you know, maybe I'll do 20% of that. Melanie can do 80% of that. And I would, I would love to hire a second person, like a salesperson, probably, probably next year. But, but I do want to, I want to grow the marketing, marketing, just grow the lead volume and be able to handle it. And we can, you know, go deeper on marketing, expand our geography we serve. And there's a lot of opportunity. In the world of wholesaling, you're generating leads. You're having potential vendors calling you. Are you personally screening most of those calls right now? And then would want to scale and say, I want to have a team of people in this case, a Melanie to actually take on those calls and, and see and really dig into what is, is this, yeah. is this a motivated vendor? Is there a deal to be done here? Is so is that where your duplication comes in and scale? Yeah. Like, you know, right now, Melanie, she's already returning calls. Like say we get a web lead come in, she'll return them. She'll just run with it now. And of course, you know, I, I'm here for counseling to, you know, is it a good deal? It, what price do I want to buy it at? I'm, you know, I'm still the one making that decision right now, but yeah, I can certainly grow someone where they, they know our numbers, what we're looking for. So they can really run with it, make the decision, buy that or get the contract on the house. Anyways, once we have the contract, then we'll, you know, look at our, are we wholesaling it? Are we, will I be taking it on myself? You know, what will we do at that point? But yeah, I'm really, you know, I, I think someone, whatever I do, there's, there's someone out there who can do it better than me, especially if we narrow down the, the focus or the scope of work. And yeah, well, I'm sure Melanie will be much better than me in a matter of months. So when you consider the 10 years that you've been at it, if you're giving some guidance, you know, to people that will be listening to this particular podcast, what have you learned? Like, wh why don't we break it down into two things? What's, what's one, two, three, whatever, five things that you've learned. Don't ever do this. This is, these were expensive lessons. Yeah. Maybe even in the 10 years you've been doing real estate, what, what is the three, yeah. four, five things that you've, you know, that you would say, don't do this. And in, here's what I've learned in wholesaling. Don't do. Okay. Well, you know, maybe be cautious with your bandit signs. This is just one little tip. You know, uh, be cautious where you put them up, what cities. Some cities are going to be on you, like, uh, you know, really stuck to you. So if you put them up, say Whitby, Ontario, they don't like it. Just <laughs> get them down quick. Otherwise, you get lots of fines, lots of, lots of nasty calls. Just know some of the rules about where you can put up signs and where not. You know, for myself, as someone, someone who does the fix and flip, you know, be careful with contractors. Um, you know, there's lots of good ones, but you want to, you want to know who you're working with, especially if you, you sign on to do a big project with them, you know, just be careful. It's ideal to start with a contractor or tradesperson on a smaller project or even a smaller scope of work on a project and then grow them into a much bigger role or bigger project. Okay. For wholesaling, there's not a lot you can do wrong. You don't want to, you definitely, I, I see other wholesalers. I'm, you know, I've always been pretty 
cautious and conservative myself, you don't want to fool around with people. Don't tie up a house, string along a motivated person and, you know, for weeks trying to wholesale something, especially if it's a bad deal. It, if you come to several investors, they tell you it's a bad deal and just let it go. Walk away quickly. Don't, don't string it on and keep the seller tied up for two, two weeks or whatever, whatever you've signed in the contract. I, I see other newer wholesalers making a mis- the mistake. They think it's a great deal where it's really not a very good deal. It might be a marginal deal. You know, if everything goes right, then you could make a little bit of money, but it's not worth the risk and the effort. People come to me with these kind of deals and they've sold themselves on it because it's the first deal and it's their baby. But just recognize if several investors are telling you it's not a deal, then just let it go and move on. I definitely see that. What's the most expensive mistake you've ever made? Expensive mistake? It was probably one contractor, but there was there was also buying a, a flip property just when we were about to get married. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I took possession, I think a month before a wedding. And when you got wedding planning going on, you, you don't need many other projects going on. So we just put the thing on hold. And, you know, it, it was the one where the numbers were tight. For me, the numbers were tight. And then, so we, we renovated a little bit more than expected. By the time we got into selling, it was December. So that one, so, so look at the timing in your life. How much can you take on with all the other things going on? Be careful what you're buying at. Make sure if you can buy at a good wholesale price if you're about to get married in a month. Because you should be wholesaling if you're about to get married in a month and don't take on another project. So uh, so uh, doing a renovation on your honeymoon wasn't, wasn't really the ideal no. situation. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> I think that was probably the lowest profit. You know, I think we made a few thousand bucks, you know, taxes we made peanuts somehow it wasn't worth the time and effort so what is it that you like about real estate what is it that keeps you going in the world of real estate you know let's you know we'll we'll assume that yes it provides a great living and all of the rest of it but what is it you like about real estate why do you why do you stick with it in what i do helping the motivated sellers i do enjoy that part i feel like there's really there's not that many of us who do what i do like we've seen all kinds of scenarios because I've helped people. Okay. The common scenario that comes to mind is power of sale foreclosure. People are behind on their mortgage. The bank locks them out of their house. So I've been able to get people back into their house after they've been locked out. I've bought houses from people. I've bought houses from people after they're locked out. So this is after the bank sends a sheriff to change the locks. So we've been able to, you know, of course, we're in it to make money, but we've been able to help a lot of people in really tough situations. And I come across a lot of these houses where it's, you know, it's depressing. It's, you know, these houses, like I just say, they're disgusting. They're filthy. The, the pets have taken over. You know, there can even be kids living here. So between the kids, the pets, the house is, has gone downhill fast. There's, you know, and poo on the carpet, the, like the litter box is this, is this corner of the room and that corner of the room. It stinks. And people just need to get out of these houses. They're never going to publicly sell these houses. They just want someone to come privately, just make it as easy as possible, get them out of this situation. No, they're not looking for the highest amount of money to sell their house. And, and no, I'm not looking to pay the highest amount of money. Um, but yeah, it, it feels good, great to be the option for these people. I, I do enjoy that. So there is a, a certainly a contribution factor. And I know that, you know, uh, with Barry and the rapid cash program, we talk about that often on stage, which is you're not there to take advantage of people. You actually are there to often get them out of a scenario that they have no yeah. idea how they're going to get themselves out of the situation that they're in. So it really is yeah. a contribution yeah. in that regard. People don't, don't know their options. They, they don't know that, you know, a private house buying company like me exists. Like, most people don't even know about this here in Ontario. I, I remember one lady, she was about to be locked out by the bank. And she, you know, she called me a few days beforehand. So the bank did lock her out because we couldn't make things happen fast enough. But I gave her a loan, uh, you know, a second mortgage to pay off the bank, get her back in the house. 
And her boyfriend was a handy renovator type. So he did uh, he, he did some rentals to the house, like new flooring, uh, spruced it up a little bit, not nothing major. And then they sold with Christina. Well, they sold on MLS and they were able to put a lot more equity, a lot more money in their pockets after all was said and done. And, and that lady said to me, she said, you know, why didn't my realtor ever tell me this was an option? Why did no one t- ever tell me about this except you? So it's often I feel I'm the only person coming to them with like a reasonable alternative solution. And, and th- these people, they're very thankful. You know, there, there's not a whole lot of options for them. There's not a whole lot of people banging down their door to buy their house or give them a loan. So that's where I come in. Well, that's, I mean, that's cool because, you know, one of the things about any business is being able to be a contribution, you know, if otherwise it gets tired pretty fast because you're working hard. And if it's only ever just about the money, it's kind of like, you know, it, that goes away too. that loses a little bit of the shine. uh, If you're, if you're not truly being a contribution at some level and getting that fulfillment of, of supporting others at whatever level that might be. Yeah. Like with, with that, that deal we did where we, gave her the loan and let her sell it on MLS. You know, we certainly made some money there, but I could have made a lot more money if I bought it, you know, at a big discount and renovated it a bit and sold it as well. I, I gave her that option. I often give sellers options. You want this option where I make more money and spend more of my time and effort, or you want this option where I'll make less money and it takes less, you know, risk and effort for me. And I let them choose, you know, she choose that way a lot of people will choose uh, to give up more of their equity and just, they want it done fast and give me that cash offer a big discount. And that, that's what they choose. Let's talk about a little bit about, cause you've got a busy life. You've got wife, child, um, you've got a, a kind of going concern, of course, with your business. What do you do on the personal development, professional development? Are you, know, how do you look after yourself? Are you a workout guy? Are you a eat right guy? What do you, where are you at in the space called, yeah. how do I look after myself these days? Yeah, well, definitely eat right. I've had that covered for pretty much all my life. My parents were, I'm sure they were known as health freaks when I was in school. I was always seemed to eat a lot healthier than everyone else. And my parents went vegetarian vegetarian when I was about 12 years old us boys didn't go vegetarian but then I I did reduce meat over the over my 20s so I, I don't eat much meat myself but it, regardless of meat you just eat healthy good stuff a lot of seeds nut veggies fruit and other things don't worry yeah <laughs> I, I also yeah I also exercise you know I, I find it's you know I, I'm over 40 now so I, I, I kind of tone it down a bit a couple of years ago I was probably playing more like touch football ball hockey but you know my joints are getting a little banged up with all this running so I, i'm toning it down i think I, I think i need some more tennis this summer that's what i need <laughs> but, <laughs> but I, I do like tennis but uh winter summer whatever it is i do have a little workout probably just two or three times a week i do you know honestly 10 15 minutes of exercise push-ups squats sit-ups that kind of thing sure that's how i keep on the physical side you know, mentally, for business and personal development, I really do like coaching. You know, like we talked about with, you know, Barry McGuire, Ron LeGrand in the past. I had another coach last year for six months. You know, I've certainly got no problem paying, you know, five figures for a coach for a little while. And that, I find, helps amplify my, my business and my focus. And it ties into life as well. You know, you got to focus on what you want in life and business and make sure that the both work together. So I, I'm big on coaching and having a, having a coach that, you know, it doesn't have to be all the time, but pretty frequently I want to coach in my life and my business. What are you reading these days? Is there uh do you do a lot of reading or are you an audio guy I, or video guy? Yeah, I, I do a fair bit of reading. I, I have an audible account for myself and my employees. So yeah, I, I do read quite a few biographies. I like biographies of people who've done great things. You know, I've, lately I've also been reading uh, sales and negotiation books. That, that's because I hired a salesperson recently. So I thought I'd, I'd get into that mindset as well. So yeah, definitely some good sales and negotiation things recently. 
when you look at, you know, I mean, you're still, you know, you're a young guy, you're uh, now a dad, I think. How old is... Sophia is four years old Yeah, now. four years old. When you look at your, you know, you've got, you're a busy couple. I mean, your mom, your dad, you're both in business, you're both in the world of real estate. How do you find, the, you know, your relationship with Christina? How important is it in terms of communication, slowing down? Mm-hmm. You know, how do you, how do you work it? I mean... Stephanie and I, yeah. we, we collectively, we own businesses and different businesses. And so, you know, we sometimes are literally dropping, I'll drop a car off at the airport so that when she lands, she picks it up and takes it home. It's like, we're often crossing paths. Now that's our life and we love it and we wouldn't change it. And yes, it's logistically sometimes a headache, but ultimately yeah. that's how we, we operate. And there's lots of communication and lots of stuff going on and it's far from perfect, but we're always working on it. So I ask you the question is, is that, how important is the relationship that you and Christina have and, and how are you evolving as a couple in that way? Yeah, we are pretty busy, especially with kids and growing a business. That being said, we do work a lot together. What I, what we do need to focus on is probably getting our, you know, our eight nights, our alone time, increase that, you know, at least a few times a month, you know, get close to once a week, you know, maybe that's, that's a stretch, <laughs> but uh, there are definitely a few times a month we need a weekend day where we're just having fun, uh, doing doing something like, you know, go see a show or just go out dancing, just have some fun, you know, forget the business, let the babysitter and handle Sophia. We definitely need that kind of time. And if, if we don't, like I do notice if we don't, like let's say we go two, three weeks without really having that quiet time ourselves things can get a little you know more stressful it just seems we're a little more on edge we definitely need that quiet time yeah so it's so for you it becomes you know a very intentional thing i guess the the, the point of the conversation in all of this is that when we look at you know the premise of the show that i always get grounded in is seemingly ordinary achieving extraordinary results it's not by accident there's all of the things that we go through as we grow and expand in our businesses and in our lives and it has to be intentional and so even a date night you you've come to realize that it's easy to step over and go okay well things are a little edgy but what i'm hearing in that is no we we don't you know when when it gets there we've gone too far we know we got to dial it back and actually make an intentional is that an accurate recap definitely like you you can you can see in yourself and your relationship when there's uh, you need to just slow down, have more together time. You can tell when you haven't had enough it, because we have a kid, we have a lot of family together time, but it, it's not the same. You need just the one-on-one together time sometimes. And you do need to be intentional and make sure it happens. So what advice do you give for people in terms of working with your significant other? I mean, sometimes that works. That's brilliant. It's the only yeah. way to go. Uh, other times it's not. What have you learned along the way in terms of working with Christina? I think we've we've been pretty good at giving ourselves different roles. So it's, we're not overlapping that much. We're very complementary to each other, such as you know on a, a rental project, I'm doing you know I, it's usually me doing the buying and you know a rental plan. She's really the the finishing. So she you know she's doing the design, the finishing. And she's selling the property, staging it, making it look pretty. You know, it, it's not my skill set, not my interest to make anything look pretty. Really, <laughs> like it's just sure. not me. Yeah, I'm not into design or colors, but you know, I I am good, and I'm patient with the contractors, the tradespeople. So I'm I'm good at hiring them and managing them. So we just we know what we're good at, and we, and we do keep in our lanes where there's not too much. Okay, who's who's doing what today? We we know what we're doing all the time, but and if we, we can certainly come to each other for feedback for ideas, but we know who's doing what. So lots of communication in that regard, I'm sure. In and understanding, I think you you nailed it with the you know complementary skills that you have. You're you're not you're not trying to do something that you're not good at. She happens to be good at that. So it's kind of a natural fit for you. And you've, def- you've defined those swim lanes that you guys stay in and uh, don't yeah. overlap too much. Yeah. We enjoy working together. You know, it's not the same as having a date night, but <laughs> we, you know, I've, 
sometimes I'll attend open houses with her or we'll certainly go look at properties together. Um, you know, some of my private deals, sometimes we'll drop, we'll be off at the grandparents. We'll go look at it, look at a property and make an offer We're both together. Why not do it together? Right. So we do lots of things together, have some fun with it. So when you're in the, you know, in the space called wholesaling and is that been hard to stay primarily focused on that? I mean, you do your fix and flips. It sounds like you're pretty focused. Is, has that been a kind of a, has that been one of the things that's been a great contribution to your success, Aaron? Yeah, and maybe another, you talk about mistakes in wholesaling. So in the past, I definitely, I take on, I don't know if we call it too many, but I take on lots of fix and flips. And so my focus is really getting myself the properties, maximizing what I can earn from it. So that would be, you know, I maximize by fixing and flipping it or fixing and keeping it as a rental. Those are how I maximize it. But in doing that, I need to slow down or stop my marketing because I can only handle so much on my plate at one time. So I, I slow down my marketing because I've got all these leads coming in, but I'm, I'm just too busy to work them properly. So that's a mistake. You take on too much so that your marketing suffers. Now I'm really being intentional and having a focus on having marketing cranked up all the time. That's the pr- priority. Wholesaling is a priority. You know, certainly me taking some deals to maximize the equity, like by fixing and flipping it. Flipping it. I, I want to do some of that, but I don't want to try it on every deal that comes my way. I want to just pass a lot along, get the deal flow going, uh, increase the volume we're doing. And of course, I'm going to have lots of great deals to take on myself, but I don't want to swamp myself at any given time with a bunch of great deals. What have you got to say to, you know, people that go, there's no deals out there. You know, the market's too (laughs) hot. There's no money to be made. There's, you know, like here you are, you know, actually managing and controlling the amount of deal flow. And, uh, you know, so how do you respond to somebody that's saying there's no cash flow properties, there's Mm -hmm. no money to be made because the market's too high? I don't know. What's your response to that? Because you got to hear it. Like for me, for me, the deal of the year comes around every month. but for people, it's it's probably like how are you limiting yourself? Will you not look further than fifteen minutes from your home, or are you not in a position to to buy a property? Like, I guess the question: How do you get yourself in a position to buy a great deal? Are you comfortable doing a rental? Like, if you're not comfortable doing a rental, yeah, you're gonna have less uh, of these kind of home run deals where you have to do, put some work in, but you get a lot of equity for that. So it really comes back to the person. How are you going to put yourself in a position, find deals and be able to act on them and be able to handle a deal? Because there's deals all over the place. Do you think there's a, a place where people just want it to be easier? Do they, you know, they, they, yeah. you know, they send out, they send out 10 later, letters or they send out a hundred yeah. and then they go, well, I never got a deal. This is a dumb idea. Yeah. Hey, you know, I would love it if I was flooded with turnkey properties that I could buy with a bunch of equity and they had massive rents. But, you know, unfortunately, a, a lot of the deals require some work. <laughs> so, you know, you, you can, if you want to do no work, then you can have a marginal deal or a, a deal that's numbers aren't that great. But if you will become the person who can handle the problems, solve the problems, then you can handle the properties that have big chunks of equity and have bigger cash flow. And yeah, you might have to drive 45 minutes to see it, but you know, there's opportunities all over the place. Well, I think that's the key, you know, anything will work if you work it, you know, um, but ultimately the, you know, the point of what, what I'm hearing you say is that you've prepared to go out. I think you said earlier in the, in, in this conversation, you're prepared to go out a couple hours if you have to, you know, you're, you're going, you're, you're going to the, the geographic regions that do make sense. And that's, of course, that's based on the economic fundamentals of something. And that's based on where the best deals are uh, achievable and where the, the highest profit margin is going to be given the region. And most people just aren't prepared to do that. They want it to be, I think, a little bit easier or a lot easier. Yeah. Right at this point in time, my most profitable fix and flip was an hour and a half away from me. And I, I was reluctant to buy there. <laughs> But my reluctance made me negotiate a really solid deal on the phone. 
And then when I actually got to the property, I realized it was a lot better than I expected. <laughs> and I, I made a, a killing on that deal. <laughs> That's always great when that happens, right? It was good. Yeah. Ah, okay. Set the standard. My reluctance, like, you know, my negotiation on the phone was like, I really don't want to buy this. You know, so I, I really set a low price. Like, if you'll consider this, I'll come and look at it. But the person really needed someone to buy her house. And she didn't want to list publicly. It was one of these disastrous, stinky, messy, filthy houses. So she wanted private and easy. And, and the reality is around here, you know, if, if you bought four years ago or earlier, there's tons of equity in your house. So whenever I'm buying a house, I'm putting tons of money in the people's pockets. I'm buying so there's, there's some left over for me as well. But everyone's getting lots of big checks from their lawyer on closing. Aaron, as we start to wind down uh, the conversation, um, I'd like to finish with some a little bit of rapid fire, some oddball questions that I get to throw your direction sure. and see how you're doing, see if you're uh, still awake. Give me your uh, favorite book. When is the, what's the book that you you know gift the most? And it can't be Rich Dad Poor Dad because we already heard that one. So what besides yeah. Rich Dad Poor Dad, which I think is a a staple, I think everybody should read. You know Robert Kiyosaki's yeah. Rich Dad Poor Dad. But what's a what's a book that you're reading that you either really got a lot out of, or even a book that you like to gift? Hmm. Since I've been hiring for a sales role, How to Win Friends and Influence People has come back to me. You know, that's probably one of the classics a lot of people talk about. So certainly that one I've started pushing on my employees and everyone else I know. But um, maybe one less common, the, honestly, I don't even remember the title, but it was a really good biography. The, uh, the founder of Nike, his book from a few years back, whatever that's called, it was a great read. Cool. And what's a job that you do even though you hate it, but because you're good at it, you keep doing it. You got one of those? Um, well, paying bills. Like, I hate doing that. <laughs> I, I, haven't, I haven't let go control of, of my bank accounts yet. So that's something I want to. Oh, so, okay. So you you need a, you're you're still doing the a bunch of the bookkeeping that you need to let go. Not, yeah, it's just the bill payment, the bank account stuff. No, okay. Not so much the bookkeeping, but. Well, that's still a bookkeeping role. I mean, and, I, and I'm guilty of that on some, you know, I've got a couple yeah. of different corporations that I still have my fingers in, which and I, I have no idea why. I think it's probably because I'm too lazy to pass it off because it's going to take some effort to pass it off to a bookkeeper. My yeah. book, my existing bookkeeper, who's already too busy. But anyways, it's another conversation. Inspirational quote. You got a favorite one? I don't know if it's exactly a quote, but uh, something from Elon Musk. I, I keep in my mind these days. I'm going to just butcher it, but it's something to the effect of, you know, we might as well make the world a better place because the opposite doesn't make any sense. That was the general effect of what he said. Yeah. Hmm. I think it was Trump that said, you know, if you're going to think, think big, you know, you're, if you're thinking anyways, think big, we'll, get, we'll butcher, right. we'll, we'll butcher inspirational quotes all day long, but we'll just share that. That that could be a new segment. Yeah. What inspirational yeah. quote are we going to screw up? Yeah. Favorite swear word. Have you got one? I'm really not much of a cursor. If, if I, uh, if I stub my toe or something, I'm like the caveman grunting guy and yeller, but yeah. Okay, so it's pretty low for me. That just means you've got a stronger command of the English language. That's what I'm told. Um, well, <laughs> other than uh, if you weren't doing real estate, what else would you do? Oh, that's a, that's a good one. I, I do remember back, you, you know, when I, I saw the guidance counselor in, in high school and thinking about what to do with my life. I was thinking journalism, so you know, I, I've always enjoyed writing to some degree. So you know, I, my path then was you know engineering to get a job or journalism. So. I might have done something with writing and journalism. Who knows? Cool. Do you have a favorite tune? Tune? I do like listening to a lot of Van Morrison when I'm just around the house. I'll call it my favorite family tune right now is Brown Eyed Girl because my so little Sophia calls it Shalalala. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> Shalalala. So that, that's the favorite family song right now. Yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> and uh, I, I've got two Brown Eyed Girls, so it's great. Favorite movie? Um, you know, give me one of these epics like Gladiator or Braveheart and I'm well entertained. But if you want a couple, maybe less known films, a couple that uh, I had low expectations, but they surprised me. I enjoyed them. There's this Japanese film called Twilight Samurai. And, and uh, I think it's a Mexican-American film in Spanish, Under the Same Moon. There's a, a couple of films I saw. I, I had no expectations. And then I'm like, wow, that was a good movie. That was great. Cool. 
if heaven exists, what do you want God to say when you get to the gates? Hmm. Well, maybe just a big welcome. We can do a chest bump and high five, something like that. I don't know. Just <laughs> <laughs> Knuckle bump. There we go. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. And what are you grateful for? Aaron, what are you grateful for today? Well, this family's a priority. I'm grateful for a grandmother I had, the parents I had, I have, my, my wife, my daughter, you know, it's always family. Today, I'm grateful I've uh, been away I've, out of country vacation, so that's been great. But uh, as I came into back into Canada, I was just grateful for living in Canada. And uh, yeah. as much as it is great to go on a vacation, something about when I touch down in uh, whatever city in, in Canada, it's always it's always home. I'm always grateful that we live in a great country. So, And I'm grateful today to have the conversation with you, Aaron. So thanks very much. Uh, great to be here. Thanks so much. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others. Share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.